You're listening to Code Switch from NPR. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. July 17, 2020, would have been the 85th birthday of Diane Carroll. So today on the show, we're celebrating the legacy of the late actress and singer. From the mid-1950s till her death in October, Carol blazed a trail of firsts. First black woman to win a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Lead Role of a Musical. First black woman to have her own TV show, not playing a domestic worker. She was one of the first models for Ebony magazine. Diane Carroll was a star of Broadway, cabaret stage, and Vegas, but most impactfully, movies and television. I don't sleep in my clothes, nor do I sleep with them. I require one bedroom for my wardrobe and one for myself. What sort of hospital is it? Very fine one. Is it black? No. It's a lovely old red brick. Oh. <clears throat> How are you, Marion? Oh, I'm splendid, Monica. You look as scrumptious as a piece of pastry. A tart. <laughs> to hear more about Diane Carroll, we're joined by Sonari Glinton. He covered business for NPR. Now he's a Forbes contributor, among other things. And he's a self-described show tunes nut and Diane Carroll ride or die. So we are really happy to have him with us today. Welcome to the show, Sonari. Hey, Karen. How's it going? Uh, well, as well as it can be, <laughs> considering we're all doing this out of our closets. Before we all got locked up, though, you had a chance to go to Diane Carroll's estate sale. I sat next to you for years, so I know how big a fan you are. There's an interesting story about how you stumbled upon her estate sale, yes? Yes, there is. Um, I was walking down Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood and walked past the auction house Bonham's and there was an eight-foot-tall photograph portrait of Diane Carroll. And, like, literally, as I wandered into the showroom, there was another black man who was a security guard, and he was essentially saying, like, brother, you better come in here, like, recruiting me from the street. (laughs) And it turned out that it was this huge showroom with glass cases displaying all of Diane Carroll's things. Furniture, awards, jewelry. I joke with the security guard that it was like being in Big Mama's closet if Big Mama had style and money. There's a lot of Big Mamas with style, but I don't think there's very many people with Diane Carroll style. And and Diane Carroll money. And that's like a really huge thing. And then as we were standing there, a person walks in off the street. They went around the display. And this is a black person who who appeared to be homeless. And after touring around the exhibit, they said, I just want to luxuriate in the extravagance that is Miss Diane Carroll. Ah. And it was one of those moments where I swear me and the security guard were like, Yes. That's exactly what we're doing. Yes. Yeah, yes. It's like, this is what we're doing. This is what we should be doing. And um, I realized they were right. And, you know, this was days before the COVID lockdown. And I felt like I wasn't the only one who needed to luxuriate a little. So I literally ran home and got my recorder. Can you introduce yourself or tell me your name? My name is Michelle Walker from New York City. And uh, do you live here? And I rearranged my, my trip so I could be here today. Why Diane Carroll? Wow, why not? <laughs> She's an icon. Icon. Um, I grew up <laughs> with watching Julia. She's Black Broadway. Mm. So, 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 um, tell me your name? Oh, Zurin Villanueva. 
Now, I literally struck gold, Karen, because that voice you heard, Zorin Villanueva, has been on Broadway in just about every show you can imagine. She was an original cast of The Lion King. Uh, Isn't that amazing? She's a colleague then. Yes. She was, yeah, she had been in the Book of Mormon, Clueless, Ragtime. So she summed up essentially what all the women I met that night were saying about Diane Carroll. This is black history. This This is, is, yeah. And I really Claudine. would love to get something with that touched her skin. I need something that was on her. You know what I mean? Why, um, why is that? Oh, well, I'm, I'm a Broadway actress, and I grew up, you know, idolizing her and her career, and I hope to have some semblance of the career she had. So I would really love having something that she wore um, as a symbol of that. Hey, me too. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, that literally was the average response when I talked to black women about Diane Carroll. And after talking to a couple of actresses, you realize that Diane Carroll wasn't just some distant icon. Uh, she was actually someone to look up to like as a, as a mentor for what to do in your career. Let's take a listen. I wanted to be the first black bitch on television. I picked up the telephone and I called my manager, Roy Gerber, and I said, do me a favor, get the word around. And for heaven's sakes, please call Aaron Spelling. Now, to me, Bates, that is the most Diane Carroll story ever, right? For her biggest role, she essentially created it herself. She eventually crashed a party at Aaron Spelling's, the producer of Dynasty, and convinced him that there should be a black woman on his Lily White show. Gone, girl. I've never played a role quite this um, unlikable. And I like that. I like that very much because I think very often, particularly minorities, are it's almost required of them that they are nice people. And I don't want to play a nice person. This is the part that I love the most about this story. When she was hired to play the villain, Dominique Devereaux on Dynasty, she told the writers not to tie themselves in knots. She said, just write the character as if it were a white man, and I'll essentially handle the rest. It's burned. Is it? The champagne was obviously frozen in the bottle at some point. Like, is there any wonder why drag queens from Provincetown to Palm Springs imitate Diane Carroll? (laughs) (laughs) And this auction was a fan's dream. Like I said, it was like standing in Diane Carroll's closet. There were dozens of Manolo Blahniks. There were Judith Lieber bags, jewelry, reel, and costume. And I got a tour from someone who knew Miss Diane Carroll very well. Look, when people walk up to me and they say, I loved your mom, there's usually a moment in their history that's attached to that comment. It's not just, oh, she was a great actress. It's usually, oh. <laughs> well, Bates, that is Suzanne Kay. She is a writer and documentary filmmaker and Diane Carroll's daughter. Tell us what we're looking at. This is like, looks like what would have been in her well, closet. There's one thing about my mom, and first of all, this isn't all of her closet. You couldn't get all of her closet in here. Um, <laughs> but she only bought the best. She learned somewhere early on that she deserved the best, and I mean down to the night clothes, the shoes, everything was designer and top of the line, which that's not how I am. But I love it that I am inherited some of this beautiful stuff. Just tell me what we see in, in front of us. This is, these are some uh, of her clothes. That's a Galanos dress that 
I don't know, my mother just looked amazing in, big slit up the side, lots of leg. That is, I think, Skazi, that beige uh, skirt suit, and I believe she married husband number four, Vic Damone, in that. Um, I was at the wedding, but I wasn't paying that much attention to what she was wearing, but I've seen it in photographs. That I think the rest of them are, there's a beautiful suit. Well, this is where the case where the uh, no strings, which, you know, I'm a fan of musical theater, and your mother was the first African-American woman to win a Tony Award. Yes, she was. And No Strings was an interracial love story on Broadway, which was a big deal. And Richard Rodgers wrote it for my mother, which was a very big deal. You know, I decided to give things to her fans or, or give them an opportunity to have a piece of her legacy. It's kind of a weird thing to try to choose what to keep and what not to. But as I said, people who walk up to me, they don't just say, oh, I love your mom. They say, oh, she meant a lot to me because we didn't have any images of us back then and all this. So I feel as if some fans really want to have a little piece of that legacy and it lifts them. My mother's memory lifts people. It makes them remember a good time, a good thing about us as, as people of color. And boy, could we use that right now, right? I probably should say I was nervous about coming to the event. Uh. I, I put on a suit and tie to <laughs> like interview Diane Carroll's daughter. Because you're going to Diane Carroll's auction, yes. Yeah, yeah I was just like, I, like her, like the ghost of Diane Carroll would be like, you're not wearing those dirty sneakers up in here. <laughs> and so as we stood in this vast showroom that you could fit literally several single family homes, you could see how big of a career and life that Diane Carroll had. Well, that's that's what's funny is like how do you how are you Diane Carroll's daughter because like how do you get dressed in the morning? <laughs> uh any way I darn please. <laughs> that's what I learned from her. Oh, really? <laughs> my style. Uh, yeah. Cuz cuz in my mind I'm like, oh, I better not there there's like it's, it's a hard act to follow, right? It's a hard act if you try to follow it, yes. I didn't, I, I went my own path. And so, and I think that what I learned from my mother is, you know, forge your own path. That was really, and don't let anyone else define you. It was a hard choice what to sell, what to keep. And I made choices that would probably seem counterintuitive to some people because I chose things that meant a lot to me and to my kids personally. So for example, she had a lot of bound scripts, the first Julia, the first dynasty bound script, you know. I kept one called Agnes of God, which was the first time a black woman replaced a white woman on Broadway. But more than that, it was a really hard role. Mom had to be on stage all through the play. She was scared. She, I saw her practicing. I was a bit older, so it meant something to me. I was watching her prepare. So for me, it's a memory of mom practicing something that was really important to her. For other people, they'd probably want that Julia script. Well, what's interesting about Diane Carroll is if this were Joan Collins, this wouldn't be a civil rights display. Do you know what I mean? Like this is almost a civil rights exhibit because so many of the things are groundbreaking or, you know, the Tony, the first of, you know, when you look at these, you know, we're looking, standing in a case with, what are these? Are, these are, um, there's her Emmy nominations and there's another with her Oscar nominations. Yes. And I mean, my mom had a lot of awards. Um, and there's a note here from Irving Berlin saying, thank you. You know, the way you sang those songs last night on The Tonight Show made me feel awfully good with my thanks and best wishes. But because it's to Diane Carroll, to your point, 
a lot of these were firsts. A lot of what my mom did was a first, you know, so it makes it feel like you're walking through a, a museum. Your mother is the tip of the spear for a lot of things. And it's like that there's a generation of, of women like your mother who were the first. Yes. What shocked America at the time, I will say white America, was that my mother had a kind of elegance and a certain presence. But she didn't, that didn't just happen all of a sudden. That came from her mother. That came from women in her neighborhood that she knew growing up in Harlem. In other words, we as black people knew women like that. My mother got to represent that on a larger national platform. And I think that's why black people are so respond to that. And, and a lot of white people did too at the time who had never seen a black face period or had only seen one in a kind of subservient role. And they just were, oh my goodness, this can be people of color. So. That's why this kind of resonates with everybody. That's why people are so moved by this. She, it's not as if she made it up. There were other black women who were like her, but she got to represent it for us. The other thing that I found that was really surprising to me was a diary, which I am not selling, by the way. Wow. Um, yeah, and it was, I, I felt as if my mom left it there for me. And it was very, I, just really emotional, and I learned a lot of things about her. I'm actually um, going to be doing a documentary. But, you know, that's the kind of thing that was so valuable to me. I mean, I love her clothes, I love her awards, but that she left this book. And my mother didn't do things by mistake. So she left that book for me. <laughs> I know she did. You were a documentary filmmaker, so you must know. She gave me the best um, quote of my life. I, was, I called her at her apartment, mm -hmm. and it was to do the obit of Lena Horne. Mm. And the, it's, you, it's rare. You have to warm people up for like obits. Right. And she said, are you ready? Can you imagine? Are you ready? I hear the voice. Yes. She said, Are you ready? And I'm like, I'm recording. Yes, I am. She goes. She said, Lena Horn was Lena angry. Horn was angry. And unfortunately, so am I. And then whatever she said afterwards didn't matter. But it was that sort of brutal honesty, especially with black journalists, which is what made her. That is so true. She would sometimes say things with black journalists, um, and that anger she understood very well. She knew it fueled her, and she knew it was also sometimes dangerous. She was very aware that uh, a lot of firsts, a lot of the black people who were on the front lines uh, in the civil rights movement, they had to manage that anger uh, one way or another, or it could eat them up. Did you get a sense that she understood like, what her firstness meant, if that's a question? or? Or, yes, I did. I think she knew very clearly. You know, she fought for um, the roles that she got. She often went out. Others, even her own representation, didn't always understand what she wanted. She had to do it herself. That's the way she got that dynasty role. And she refused certain roles. So why did she pick some roles and not others? Because she was very aware that it was changing the dialogue. Um, she was doing something different. She wrote about that in her diary as well. So, yeah, she, I don't think it was always when she was young, I think she just wanted to work, you know, and just was thrilled to get a job. But uh, very early on, she won a Tony. And I think then it became really clear to her by the reaction that everything she did um, was going in the history books. Um, and she carried that, she carried that pretty elegantly throughout her life. 
That's what they call an end. Uh, Suzanne Kay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. So after spending all this time at this auction, after luxuriating in uh, (laughs) Ms. Diane Carroll for several hours and speaking to her daughter, I mean, it was an auction. So did you bid on anything, Sonari? Did you buy anything? So I bid on uh, a few awards and a chair uh, that I sit in in the evening and drink unburnt champagne occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I think Ms. Carroll would approve. Sonari, I know know you've gone on to great things elsewhere, but I really miss seeing you and hearing you on the regular here at NPR when we actually had offices. So... Thanks for allowing us to luxuriate in the memories of the divine Diane Carroll. And that's our show. As always, we want to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at NPR Codeswitch. You can follow me at Karen Bates. Subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. This episode was produced by Jess Kung and edited by Leah Danella. And a shout out to the rest of the Codeswitch fam. Shireen Marisol Miraji, Jean Demby, Kumari Devarajan, Alyssa Jong Perry, Natalie Escobar, Steve Drummond, and L.A. Johnson. I'm Karen Grigsby Bates. See ya.